0: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees, now and in the future. We know
1: Irish life. We are Irish Life.
0: Hello
2: and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Laura Slattery. I'm filling in for Kieran Hancock this week. And later, I'll be joined by Pamela Noonan, co-founder of the community startup Girl Crew, to talk about the business of helping people make friends. But first, Irish agri-food companies have been hogging their fair share of the business news headlines of late, with the recent drama at baked goods group Arista followed this week by two pretty good sets of results from Kerry and Glanbia. Both companies also made significant announcements about their future. Here to discuss all this for your delectation, we have Joe Brennan of the Irish Times, and our guest on the line is another Joe, Joe Gill, head of corporate broking at Goodbody. Coming to you first, Joe Brennan, what's been going on?
1: yeah i suppose maybe to take a step back uh, just uh, Arista there um uh last week um came out it, it had a pretty hard time in the last uh, last few last few years but um last week uh they confirmed what the dogs in the streets were were, were, were suggesting uh and the the chief executive uh Owen killian is is stepping down um over the coming months and also the the, the company will lose its... A, Chief Financial Officer and uh, the head of its Americas division, which is kind of the biggest kind of clear out you've seen uh, probably in corporate Ireland since the banking crisis, there were. Um, I suppose for 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 Rista, kind of the, the problems for them went back. You know, you can step back about um, about two years ago. Uh, but this time two years ago they came out with a set of figures you know after a number of of years of, of roll up acquisitions uh, target beating uh, results it came out with a, a, a bad set of results about two years ago uh, and there was a big sell off in the stock and then followed two weeks later um, it uh, announced that it was uh, taking a, a minority stay, stake a 49% stake in a, a French frozen uh, food company and that uh, called Picard and that industry is is, is, is Pretty much out of favor as well. Again, that was very badly received by by investors. Uh, and since then, we've seen a number of profit warnings. Um, and then, uh, I think the, the kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back last last month was when they came out with a profit warning, saying that the earnings are going to be twenty percent lower uh, than, than uh, this year than last year. So uh, that kind of triggered uh, the, the the review of the of the top executives, and has also triggered uh, a, a, a likely sale of the Picard business and. We'll probably see more kind of activity there over the coming months as well. Um, they have to refinance six hundred million euros of, of 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 debt over the next year. There is some talk about them having to um, having to to raise uh, additional capital uh, in, in time, but again, that'll depend on what the, the new management would actually say. So that's Arista. Sorry, so, I mean
2: it's a story of turbulence, really. Uh, Arista, an ongoing story, and it does contrast, I think, with what we're we're seeing a bit more positivity from from Kerry and uh, Glambe this week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Kerry uh, came out. So Glambia, Kerry came out yesterday um, with a very solid set of results. Uh, trading profit was up 7% to 750 million. Uh, it was driven much by its, its kind of international business its taste, nutritional and, and functional ingredients business. Um, it also signalled that it would be back on the acquisitions trail this year, having taken the foot off the pedal there last year um, Having as it was kind of bedding in about 900 million euros of, of acquisitions that took place in, in 2015. They're talking now of spending a, up to up to a billion on, on acquisitions this year. But the big news, I suppose for, for Kerry is that we're going to See a change in 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 the top management team um, here. We should be only that we see that um, Stan McCarthy, the chief executive, is stepping down um, uh, at the end of September. He'll be replaced by uh, another company lifer, um, who all uh, Edmund Scanlon, who like um, Stan before him, um, had started off in the Kerry graduate uh, training program. Um, so he'll step in uh, in, in, in September. And um, is that
2: a conservative choice then? Another Kerry lifer, or, or uh, is it a good, good good choice?
1: Yeah, no, it is. It, it certainly is. It's a Kerry way. It's a conservative choice. It's someone who's from inside the group. They tend to like to pick people from inside the group, and in fairness, they tend to kind of. Uh, nurture people as as they bring on as well, and and try and develop a kind of a strong kind of a management team internally. I suppose to kind of the, what probably clinched it for 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 um, for Edmund Scanlon is the fact that he's been over in uh, the Asia Pacific region in the last few years. And if you just look at look at the figures there yesterday, the, the, the volume of sales growth you're seeing in the Asia Pacific region is, is somewhere near about eleven percent. When you compare that to Europe, less than one percent, uh, and even the Americas, less than four percent. So the the real kind of growths kind of drive. For the company is the Asia-Pacific region so, region so you can understand why they've gone for someone with that experience. So that's
2: why you called his appointment uh, a tried and tested recipe but with a dash of eastern promise. I'll come back to you on Glambia in a moment but just bring you Joe Gill in uh, we have Joe Gill on the line what did you make of the Kerry announcement at the change at the top of the company uh, Joe?
0: I thought it was uh, very uh, interesting at a number of levels. Firstly, um, in terms of the generational move, uh, uh, Mr. Scannon, is 43 years of age, um, went into the graduate program in 1996. So it's a real step change in terms of uh, age. Uh, but I guess most importantly, and this was uh, mentioned on the investor call yesterday, he's been chosen because of his uh, knowledge and understanding and strength in managing assets in Asia, and also his understanding of functional foods. And and I think that piece is the most intriguing part of the story because Kerry has been on a long journey uh, over the past 30 years. It started out in primary dairy processing, uh, beef processing, pork and poultry processing, and it evolved into an ingredients businesses uh, business, uh, business and, and more recently into taste and nutrition. But what's now emerging as a major theme in the food industry is what's called functional foods. And these are foods that have verifiable benefits on people's health. And you've got a combination of technology and food ingredients coming together to create a whole new uh, wave of products, uh, which I think will be to the fore over the next 10 to 20 years. And then the Asia-Pacific market is probably going to be the fastest going region for food consumption overall, but uh, also for functional foods. So that's what lies behind uh, his appointment. Um, I think the Kerry story itself is pretty remarkable. They posted profits of $750 million yesterday. They've got a stock market valuation of $13 billion. And for a company that would be known to be highly conservative, to put a 43-year-old in charge of all that, I think is pretty radical, um, despite the fact that he's a man and a UCC graduate. Um, so I, I, I think the business is in very good shape.
2: So, I mean, is that Stan McCarthy's legacy then that you know he 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 furthered that path, the development of Kerry from the the company that you know makes Easy Singles and and and, Denny and so on uh, to uh, you know an ingredients focused business that pump, pumps cash into R and D.
0: Well, that that was it was it was kicked off actually by Dennis Brosnan, uh, who pretty much shaped uh, Kerry Coop and Kerry PLC back in the seventies and eighties, and he. Um, in making a signature acquisition uh, called Beatrim Foods in New York. Um, That was the start of the shift into ingredients and and Stan McCarthy was the guy who led the management of the business in North America Uh, and and then uh, Hugh Freel succeeded Dennis Brosnan as chief executive and Stan succeeded Hugh and all three of them have been pushing hard into this ingredients business but I think Stan has taken it to a new level in terms of developing this taste and nutrition Strength And it's now arguably the biggest uh, taste and nutrition company in the world, which, which is some feat for what was a small regional dairy co-op back in the early 70s.
2: And how would you assess their, their competition then? Because they must have others sort of pursuing this area too.
0: There are. And there's a few global companies who covet this business because it's high margin and high growth. And um, they're active in it out of continental Europe and out of North America and indeed in the Asia-Pacific markets. And it's a very competitive environment, for sure. But if you are seen to be a leader in terms of innovation and product development, and they're big believers in collaborating with large industrial uh, food and beverage customers, um, they have uh, multi-year relationships with these customers. And that's best exemplified by this uh, enormous um, R&D facility they've built in NACE which is one of their global centres of excellence. And they're bringing together their customers with their technology people at that centre to develop the next generation of foods. Um, And I think that's very progressive thinking by the company.
2: Okay, so progressive thinking at Kerry. Just turning to Glombia now, uh, Joe Brennan, tell us about what they said just earlier today um, about Proposal to sell a 60% stake in Dairy Ireland. What does that tell us about the future direction of the company?
1: Yeah, I mean, they've been down this, this, this road before. Um, back in 2010, uh, the company had looked to sell off its uh, Dairy, Island, uh, Dairy Ireland uh, division to um, the co op, the uh, Glambia Co op, which uh, at the time owned about 55% of, of, of the companies as, 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 and remains its biggest shareholder. Um, that didn't get over the line. It was defeated kind of very narrowly. There was a seventy-five percent uh, majority needed to get it over the line. I think seventy-three percent of uh, farmer members of, of the co-op uh, voted for, but it didn't get it over the line. Um, so two years later, they um, went about um, spinning off the uh, the fooding the, the ingredients company uh, to 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 the uh, the, the co-op, and, and they got that over the line. It was sixty forty uh, joint venture in favor of of, of the co-op. This time around, now what they've decided to do is they've decided to sell off um, uh, Dairy Ireland, Ireland uh, which is the consumer's business. It's the names we all know and love, uh, Avonmore, Premier Milk, uh, Kil- Kilmedan, uh, Cheese, and also long life uh, um, products that are sold to the likes of uh, China, Europe, and, and, and the Middle East, and also selling off... Um, uh, Sending off the the the, the agribusiness, which is the kind of the, the the animal feed and the fertilizer business, uh, uh, to to the to the co-op as well. This obviously needs to be approved by by shareholders uh, of of glambia PLC and the farmer members uh, that uh, that are uh, of of the co-op itself. So that'll have to go through over the, over the coming months. It'll involve a. Um, a payment uh, from the co-op of about 112 million uh, euros, and also the new company that the new joint venture company Glambia Ireland, into which this has all been spun out into, um, it will have to raise uh, money from banks to pay back working capital in the order of about 90 million back to to, to Glambia itself. So Glambia will get about 200 million out of this. Uh, it will also see its its main shareholder as it tries to raise money to 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 pay for uh, the the 112. Uh, million that uh, has to go to, to, to Glambia, they'll be selling shares uh, and they would also um, spin out some shares as well to the, the members. So they'll see their, their stake, uh, which is about 36.5% at the moment, falling to about 31.5%. Um, yeah, so it, it, it depends you know whether this gets over the line. It's it's an easier threshold because previously they needed a 75% majority. This time they only need a simple majority. So you'd have to imagine that it's a greater chance of, of, of getting over the line
2: so they obviously they want to do it and there's there's tremendous rationale for doing so
1: yeah, I mean, look at the, the 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 group itself. It over the last fifteen years has, has transformed the, the, the main part of the business and the growing part of the business and the high uh, margin part of the business is the global for- performance uh, nutrition uh, business, which sells protein bars and uh, shakes to kind of gym junkies uh, around the world. And I think they're trying to get into the the more the mass market as well. But that's that's the kind of the, the big kind of uh, uh, the big part of, of the business. Whereas the, the dairy business is open to the vagaries of 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 the market, and certainly in, in recent years we've seen the, uh, the the quotas being lifted. So it is really exposed in, in Europe. So it's really exposed to the uh, to the uh, volatility that you would see in 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 the uh, in the world uh, milk markets. So you can see why they would want to shift it off their off their off their own balance sheet.
2: So um, Joe Gill, um, I mean the, the 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 performance of the performance and <laughs> nutritionals. That's really Driven the growth this time round, um, is is there still? This, do you see more capacity for growth in that in that part of the business?
0: We do. Um, it's it's a double digit margin business that's been growing at double digit rates now for the last five to seven years. Um, Glanbia have made a big strategic push into the area through a series of acquisitions and subsequent organic investment, and the large institutional shareholders in the PLC have been saying to them for some time that they would like to see more capital being deployed behind those type of uh, businesses. And as recently as two weeks ago, they announced a 181 million euro uh, acquisition spend on two companies, one in America, one in Holland, which are in that very area. At the same time, I think those institutional investors do not have as much uh, appeal for um, what we would consider more traditional businesses such as um, animal feed, uh, compounding, agri-trading, liquid milk, yoghurts in Ireland. Uh, but that business is quite important strategically for the farmers behind Glanbea Co-op, who are uh, large shareholders of the PLC and are also majority shareholders in what's called Glanbea Ingredients, which is the big dairy processing plant in Ballyragget and the big plant in Bellevue uh, and so on. Um, so there's a lot of logic in this. Um, it means that you're transferring assets out of the PLC into an entity controlled by the co-op, which the farmer members consider strategically important for them uh, in Ireland. And on the other side, uh, the PLC will have the resources uh, available to us to um, invest more deeply in performance nutrition and nutritionals. Uh, and, and that business looks like it's going to do very well. And at the same time, Even though Glanby Co-op is going to sell some shares in the PLC to fund this transaction, they will continue to be somewhere around 30% shareholders in the PLC. So it's not as if they're getting off the the bus as it carries on its own journey globally. They'll actually be still very valuable uh, investors in that process.
2: Okay, investing more deeply in, in performance nutritionals, uh, Joe Brennan, is, is that something? I mean, is that something you expe- expect to see in, in the Glambia in, in the near future, or what's the sort of timeline are we looking at here? Would they have they have to wait for all of this to be cleared
1: first? Yeah, I mean, this uh, on the conference call this morning um, with with analysts, um, they highlighted that they would have, uh, after this deal goes through, and even after the, the recent acquisitions, uh, they would have, uh, in the region, about 300 to 400 million to spend on additional acquisitions. And you would have to imagine that again, where the, the, the bulk of the acquisitions, which is in the global performance nutrition uh, area, you'd have to imagine that's where they'll be concentrating on on, on acquisitions and on uh, capital spending over the next few years.
2: Uh, just to finally, Joe Brennan, I mean, this is the story of Kerry and glambia here this is about both sort of taking advantage and um also driving uh, responding to uh, con- changes in consumer behavior uh, you know w- w- you know how how good you know should we be hailing these companies for the success that they've had in in doing that
1: you know absolutely i suppose if you look at the two companies and just compare and contrast them over the over the last 24 hours or so you've glambia which is kind of moving trying to kind of Move out of the more uh, domestic, uh, consumer-facing types of products. Uh, whereas Kerry, interestingly enough, uh, Stan um, McCarthy, one of his uh, strong departing kind of words was uh, to his successors: "Don't get rid of the consumer division, which is the kind of the, as you said earlier the on ir- the dairy you know, goals, the
2: original, the, the original,
1: yeah. the dairy yeah. goals, the Denny Easy the Seagulls, and and it's a very it's a much lower margin business. I think the margin, uh, the the operating margin there is lower than nine percent versus fifteen percent for for the uh, for the international ingredients part of the business. So you can understand why some investors are putting pressure on them to try and sell off the consumer business to uh, to fund acquisitions into in, in the faster-growing, higher-margin business. But as the, the CEO said yesterday, that the consumer business is a, it's a big kind of a generator of cash which they can use for the other part of the business. And more importantly, they say that it's a, it's a good calling card when they're dealing with customers in, say, in Asia. Um, the fact that they have a consumer facing business and they're trying to sell to, uh, to, to food companies, their ingredients and products to food companies, they can show that actually they, they have that experience with, here, with consumers.
2: Here's some Jenny Rashers to <laughs> take home. Okay. Exactly. Okay, well, I'm sure we, we will be coming back to the topic of Glambia, Kerry, and indeed Arista. Um, but for now, thank you very much to Joe Gill from Goodbody and Joe Brennan here of the Irish Times. We'll take a short break now, and next I'll be talking to Pamela Noonan about her startup Girl Crew.
0: Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to IrishLifeEmpower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015.
2: Irish Startup Girl Crew will be heading to South by Southwest Interactive Festival next month as one of 10 companies chosen to represent the EU in a competition organised by Startup Europe. It's a busy time for the company, a global network for women to make new friends. And here to tell us more about what's next for the crew is co-founder and our former colleague here at the Irish Times, Pamela Noonan. Welcome, Pamela. Um, It's been a few days since (laughs) I've seen you, uh, but in that time, more things have been happening for Girl Crew. Can you tell us what's next for the company?
3: Yes, so we're rapidly growing. We have more than 80,000 members now, and we are in 46 cities worldwide. We're all over the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, Ireland, and a bit of mainland Europe. Uh, Our newest group is Girl Crew Orlando, which has more than doubled in January and has now over 1,000 members. And just in the last two days, our group in London surpassed 6,000 members. So that was exciting. And we're gearing up right now to head to Austin, Texas. We're going there on March 8th and we'll be partaking in South by Southwest, which is like a massive global conference that focuses on technology, film and music. And we will be representing the EU at that. So we're thrilled about it. And there was more than 220 startups applied to the European Union competition to be chosen. So we were one of 10 chosen from the 222.
2: Okay, so we're going to go just back in time a little bit now just to tell us about this uh, wonderful story, really. Um, And uh, because you're one of three co-founders and your other co-founders are El Vakari and Anya Malloy. And it was in 2014, was it not, that Elva was uh, looking for someone to go dancing with and just had, was just wondering, you know, how do I go about this? You know, my friends are busy. So can you tell us a little bit about where
3: she got the idea? Yes, it's exactly that. Uh, she wanted to go out dancing one Friday night, texted all her friends, and everyone was busy. They all said they were working or they were doing something with their boyfriend or they were away, and so she had no one to go out with. And she decided, and it was her sister who gave her the idea, to go on the dating app Tinder, And change all her settings so she would be a man on the app. And as a result, she'd only appear to women on the app. And she wrote on the profile, I'm female, totally straight. uh, Just looking for a few friends to have a night out dancing. Let me know if you're interested. Thinking that maybe two or three people might see it and contact her. And she could go out on a night out dancing with them. Within a few hours, more than 100 people had matched with her. And she was having to message them all, trying to arrange plans for the night out. Was proving very complicated with so many people.
2: How do one hundred people <laughs> fit into one nightclub?
3: <laughs> so she created a little secret Facebook group, added them all in, so they could talk in one area, and planned the night out. And that's how it all started. And you met Elva at the
2: Web Summit.
3: Yeah, so was that actually at the Surf Summit, which was connected with the Web Summit? It was a surfing weekend way for entrepreneurs, investors, techies in Westport County, Mayo, and then also Achill Island. And she had already set it up at this stage and she told me all about it. And I was really interested in it. And I kind of was like, oh, I really want to be part of this. So I emailed her after and I said, uh, would you be interested in meeting up? I have a business proposition for you. She said yes. So we met up and I said, would you be interested in having me as a co-founder? I really think I could help you turn this into a business and scale it globally. I definitely think you're onto something. So she said she'd love that and it'd be brilliant. And we started working together and Onya at that stage had already been working with her. And she said, well, I also ask Onya if she would like to be a co-founder. And then maybe the three of us could kind of all work on it properly. So I said, yeah, because Onya had a background in marketing and neither Elva nor I did. And so she asked Onya and Onya said yes. And then the three of us wanted to know if we would all get along working together. So we hired a house in Wicklow. And we all went down for the weekend and like stayed kind of in the house together in close proximity, working together for the whole weekend. And we got along very well, and we're still getting along well now.
1: And because it would be together. a bit
2: strange to have a kind of a social network for, for women to make new friends if, if the uh, co-founders <laughs> yes. themselves weren't friends. But yeah. I suppose, um, I mean, and then that's when, of course, I mean, uh, uh, listeners will know that uh, Pam, recognize Pamela Newnham's name as a byline here in the Irish Times. But that was when you sort of, sort of began sort of to begin the process of moving from being a business journalist to being a businesswoman. And um, I suppose you all hit headlines as well last year when you went to uh, meet uh,
3: Facebook's uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a very exciting time. Uh, they had sent a team over to Ireland. Well, firstly, Sheryl Sandberg had like mentioned us in a post on her own personal Facebook page, which was bananas, because she has something like 168 million followers on Facebook. And shortly after that, they sent a team over to Ireland to attend various girl crew events and make a video about us for Facebook stories. And then we got invited over to celebrate Facebook's birthday with them and it was their 12th birthday. And they flew the three of us over and it was a very small gathering for their birthday, like 25 people. Uh, And Mark Zuckerberg was there and Sheryl Sandberg was there. And they were kind of saying, you know, that we were doing great things for friendship worldwide.
2: Because I mean, the, the, at the heart of, of you know Facebook is, is, is community, or that at least that's what that's what they always say. And but that is would really the girl crew model as well. And, and but the, I suppose the difference is that you're trying to encourage people to have uh, friendships offline as well. So you kind of this is a way of connecting and then meeting on, on offline.
3: Yeah, we think. Um like real friendship happens in person. You have to meet up people with people in real life. And you can't really make friends online. You have to be meeting them offline. So we have offline events all over the world every week, often even every day. Things like book club brunches or hikes or nights out or coffee meetups or even networking dinners. Most of them are organized by our members. Over the years, we've had total bonkers events organized as well, like axe throwing or chair dancing and then So we it's organize- everything from
2: knitting to axe throwing, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what you're saying.
3: And then we organize some from HQ as well, like we'd organise professional events, like careers events, Girl Crew Pro is one of our main events, and entrepreneur dinners, colouring nights, that kind of stuff.
2: So, I mean, how does Girl Crew kind of stay involved then with the relationship? I mean, there is, a, I suppose, a risk that the people could just uh, go, go so far off- offline that they sort of sever their relationship with Girl Crews. So-
3: Yeah, they could, but they keep coming back for Girl Crew, A, for for FOMO, fear of missing out. (laughs) There might be some cool events that go up that they miss out on. And also for like advice and knowledge, because Girl Crew is like personalized Google. People will ask questions or seek advice and tips on stuff and all the answers they receive. They'll know that people have been there, done that. So someone might say, my parents are coming in from out of town uh, what's a good restaurant to bring them to? That's not too expensive. And there'll be like lots of answers underneath. Or I really need to improve my CV. This is what it looks like. What would anyone suggest?
2: And what's the age range of, of the women who use it?
3: Mostly, the vast majority of people are 25 to 45.
2: OK, yeah. I mean, especially, I suppose, at the the, the, the low, younger end of that age, age range, they're, you know, we assume they're completely used to um, arranging dates um, via apps like Tinder, as you mentioned. Is was there still is there was there you know was it common to you know meet up with new friends that way or or did you think w- were you were tapping into something new a, a sort of a demand that hadn't been met yet?
3: We were because like we thought it, that some people might think it would be uncool to kind of say you don't have friends and you need friends and that people might not want to admit that, but actually. People have no problem saying that because often they've moved to the city from another country. So they don't actually know anyone. So they've no problem being like, I've just moved here. I don't know anyone. Or they might have moved from the city from another city in the same country. Or maybe they've got into something that none of their friends are into. For example, they have started training for marathons. None of their friends train for marathons. They want someone else to train with. So they'll post, is anyone training? I'd love to have a training buddy.
2: And uh, do they sometimes bring kind of wing women with them? <laughs> if they, if they, Maybe they have one best friend, but they want to expand their social yeah, circle.
3: And a lot of people are like that. Like probably the majority of our members actually have a good few friends. They just wanted more friends. They're extroverts. Yeah. yeah and this yeah. is, this is a, an efficient and uh, fun way of yeah. doing it. And their friends might be busy or working late and they want to do certain things so they can find people on Girl Crew to do those things with. Like, for example, someone might want to go to cinema this Friday and see a certain film, but their friends are busy so they could post in Girl Crew and find other people to go with them to the cinema.
2: So tell me then how this works from a revenue end of things because that's all, that's sort of, it's still developing, but you do have revenue coming in, is that yeah, right? Yeah, we
3: do. So we make money from a number of ways. One is advertising because it's a niche audience, all women, mostly 25 to 45. Secondly is event ticket sales. So the events that we organise, that are organised by HQ, we would charge for Thirdly is sponsorship and partnerships. And then lastly, we've just began a Girl Crew premium option where members can pay €10 Euro per month and they get added extras, such as a lot of discounts and one event, exclusive event organized for them every week.
2: So tell me then about sort of, you know, how, how you're financing the, the startup. I mean, what's, what's what's going into the financing of the company?
3: So we have investors on board and we're just kind of soon to be closing out around and that's what we've been financing the company with, but also with the money that we're making from advertising and events and ticket sales. Up until now, our burn rate, which is the mon- amount of money we spent every month, was very low.
2: And can I say you're moving to San Francisco yes. as part of the expansion of Gurkhru? Yeah. Because obviously there's various cities in the US where Girl Crew is very strong. But yeah. San
3: Francisco is, is is because it's the sort of the VC capital really for for tech. Yeah. So It's where all the knowledge and experiences, like all the biggest global networks in the world, have been started and built out of San Francisco. They know exactly how to do that there. And so any sort of problem we would ever come up against, they would know how to sort it. And Facebook came out of there, LinkedIn, Reddit, Twitter, all of them, they know exactly how to do it. And so to move there, I'm going to move there at the start of April and then depending on how it goes, we'll start moving more members of our team over there as well.
2: So Girl Crew will be sort of based in Dublin, but we'll have, uh, you know, Apple's in San Francisco, yeah. so to speak, a presence in San Francisco. And do you have, do you yourself have friends in San Francisco or are you going to have to use Girl Crew to make friends there?
3: I've already used Girl Crew. So I've been there a few times in the last year and the year before. And so I have made a good few friends already through Girl Crew over there and they're brilliant woman and they're they're from all, do all different things and they're so helpful as well. So I'm excited by that. Uh, I remember I was there last March and I didn't realise that I was there during the Super Bowl and every single hotel was fully booked. And even like the dodgiest hotel in the dodgiest area was kind of $600 a night. And I posted in the group saying, hey, does anyone want to put me up? Because <laughs> uh, everywhere's a fortune. The Super Bowl is on. I hadn't realised and this girl offered and I went and stayed with her for two nights and it was brilliant and I'm still really good friends with her to this day and keep in contact with her the whole time.
2: You'll be cannibalising the Airbnb market <laughs> next. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, we will leave it there but best of luck with the launch of the app and of course representing EU at South by Southwest. That's very cool. And for now, thank you very much. Pamela Noonan, co-founder of Girl Crew. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thanks to our guests, Joe Brennan, Joe Gill and Pamela Noonan. JJ Vernon was on sound and Declan Conlon produced the show. Thanks very much for listening.